I'm Carlos Virgen, and this is The Storyline, produced by The Day in New London, Connecticut. This week, I talked to reporters about our recent series on millennials who have decided to stay and make a living in southeastern Connecticut. Uh, so I profiled uh, Jeffrey Hart. He recently won a seat on the New London Board of Education, and I was just asking around uh, for suggestions, and his name came up, and um, thought it'd be good. He's a political newcomer, and he's owned a house here for about, he's lived in New London for 10 years, um, but owned a house here for five, um, and bought a, a major fixer-upper, and has put a lot of work into the house, um, and he owns his own business, so I thought that was sort of make him pretty interesting. Um, and he grew up in Uncasville, um, pretty rural. He had, they had two sheep and, um, about five acres. So they didn't, you know, really interact much with neighbors. Um, but he came to New London in high school for the music scene. He'd come to shows at the old LM, LNG club and, um, bought all of his guitars here. And he was actually, he was in a band or several different bands. Um, he actually dropped out of college to pursue music full time and was in a band called uh, Naughty Jungle of Love for five years. Uh, it was a seven piece funk band with a rock edge. Um, and he actually ended up going to, um, moving out to San Francisco for a couple of months to try to sort of give it one last shot. Um, and after that, he uh, was when he came back to New London and really decided to, to throw down roots here. And a, a big part of that is the arts and music scene, which has been sort of a broader um, support community for him. It never occurred to me to want to be anywhere else. I, I love, I've always loved New London. Yeah. Um, from the time I was in high school, going to shows here, seeing music here. Uh, you know, the Caruso's music. LNG? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, LNG Club, of course, uh, and, and other clubs too. You know, Caruso's music is where I bought, you know, my guitars and, uh, and where I hung out and... <laughs> And bothered the, uh, the yeah. guys. And, um, what kind of music were you interested in back then? Um, I I was very much a child of the nineties. Okay. And like grunge and all that, you know, rock and grunge stuff. And uh, and then I was in a funk band for about five. Wherever you go, you find creative and interesting people. Yeah. You know, I, I connect with people, but you know, deep, deep long connections are here. Right. You know, after that, I kind of made a decision to throw down roots. It was a very deliberate decision. Mm-hmm. And um, it is hard to quantify, like, what is it about these people? And it's, you know... Yeah. I, I love my family. Yeah. It's not like I have built-in babysitters in my mm-hmm. mom or dad. It's Got not it. like I did it for the, the family support. Yeah. Um, it's a bigger, broader support network. Uh, it's a bigger creative network. So as I mentioned, it's, uh, it was his first time running for office, and he really, um, you know, like most people, he didn't really start paying attention to politics until he was 18 and able to vote. Um, and he really started paying attention um, when the health care debates were going on under President Obama um, because it was an issue that he says really directly impacted him. He's a contractor. He, he doesn't have health coverage. And so that really got, that spurred sort of an involvement with the Democratic Party, but also Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. And from there, people sort of saw his enthusiasm um, for getting involved. He was very organized. um, And so they recommended that he, um, 
you know, run for the Board of Ed. He's married and has two young sons and another kid on the way. So obviously this, you know, the school is something that impacts him. His children are going to the schools here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, what he does on the school board. There are five new new people on the board, so, um, and he's one of them. That led to me being involved and paying attention and, you know, being involved in the Bernie campaign and the Democratic Party and, and throughout this, people asking me if I was interested in running. Because mm-hmm. I... I showed enthusiasm and interest yeah, but yeah. I kept swearing I was going to wait till the kids were older and they were yeah. in school and, and then when you say the, people were asking about you running that was people sort of locally involved in the Democratic Party yeah or? well people I knew at first and then you know as I knew more political people it was still the people I knew but those people were right. more convincing yeah um, yeah yeah and this year Zach Levy um, had you know finally twisted my arm and convinced me to run. Um, he didn't. Re- he didn't run again, and five right. other people didn't run again, and they really needed people to run. Yeah. And so, even though you know I swore up and down, and even though my wife's pregnant, I yeah. decided, and I, and I'm not done with school yeah. yet. I yeah. decided, oh, okay, yeah. I can do this, and I dove in. I chose my millennial Victor Shabiris um, because he's very involved in the theater scene in New London. Um, he's 26 years old. He grew up in both New London and Waterford. He went to Waterford High School and graduated from there in 2009. And then um, it was there where he really got involved with theater um, in the drama club. And after that, he decided to go study theater in New York City at um, Marymount Manhattan College. And so he was he was there, I guess, in the theater scene, learning how to act and studying that for three years, four years, sorry. And um, But it's funny because all throughout that time, he was coming back to New London to really get his experience in theater. And he was interning at, at Flock Theater here in New London. Uh, over the summers in between semesters. And um, after he graduated uh, from college, he stayed in New York City for the summer, but then came back to New London in the fall to kind of start freelancing with the theater. I think um, New London just gave him this opportunity to really work in theater rather than trying to chase opportunities to work in theater, which, which which is what it's like in New York City. Um, New York City is just so competitive. So many people want to work in theater. So many people want to act. You're really more spending time chasing gigs rather than actually working and doing. And so New London gave him that opportunity to really just work in his field. And he loves that. He loves theater. He's passionate about it. And here is where he could really do it and make a difference in the community by doing it. As an artist, um, I can do things here and contribute here. Um, and that's huge because going to a big city, especially in the theater, especially in New York, you're, you're fighting tooth and nail if you're in the theater there and you're selling yourself and you're trying to make it and get noticed where I don't think New York needs any more theater artists. It's got enough. And so to come back here to an area that I already like and I'm connected to, um, and be able to do theater for the community rather than 
trying to make it in the community is is valuable and i feel like it's it's something that i can do whether it's teaching whether it's putting on a play whether it's building puppets or a parade whatever it is um <clears throat> i can use my art and it's welcomed here it's i'm providing a service here and and that's just great. And then I can live affordably and hang out with people I love. You know, my family's around here, obviously. I've had friends here all my life, but um, that's that's really valuable, I think, about this area for me. At Flock Theater, he's the assistant artistic director, and um, the theater was founded by a man named Darren Wood, who's the director. So it's really just Victor and Darren running the show, and they do everything that you would need to do for a theater there, you know, directing the actors, putting on the show, doing the puppetry, taking care of the lighting, everything. Sometimes he acts in the show, sometimes he directs the show, sometimes he is the assistant director of the show. He does really kind of everything um, there. And then on top of that, he is also working with school children. So he is heading the theater program at Benny Dover Jackson Middle School, so he's he's doing that here in New London. But he also is a part of this state program called the Hot Schools Program, and Hot stands for Higher Order Thinking, and he's a teaching artist with them. And basically, he goes around the state and he works with kids in public schools. I think it's like forty-two public schools throughout the state, and he teaches them everyday subjects that you would learn in school, but he teaches them that through putting on a production in the theater. So I think he does a lot of shadow puppet plays with them. They will learn about light theory or something in in history by working on a play with him over the course of a month. We will take a class of 25 or whatever, and they're learning about light theory. And so, but they're also learning about the American Revolution. So we can teach them both about light theory and the American Revolution by making a shadow puppet show where they build, rehearse, perform the whole show. I don't consider it like a day job, like something that I have to do just to make money. It's another artistic challenge. How do I make a shadow puppet show with 40 fourth graders and, or nine shadow puppet shows with 40 fourth graders and put it all together and teach them at the same time. And that's just awesome. I love it. So for my millennial profile, I spoke with Karina Alvarez, who lives in New London, and she is 29, and she runs the company Easy Occasions, which is an event design and rentals company. Uh, So they mostly specialize in draping, uh, like, for tents and canopies at outdoor events. So with outdoor events being a big thing, and obviously in the uh, event field, spring and summer is is a busier time of year. She does a lot of weddings as her main thing. Uh, mostly different venues in Mystic, but a few others throughout the area. And so now is kind of her time when in the off season, um, she's one doing a little bit of traveling. She recently uh, went back to Barcelona where she uh, got her MBA. And then she's also really working on investing in her company and building things up by buying, you know, more glassware and um, 
lighting options, uh, china, tables, chairs, stuff like that. Just and, and she wants she has one warehouse in Waterford and one in New London. She wants to get a bigger warehouse along with the more inventory. And so the way that I found out about her was that I had reached out to Megan Cronin, who works for the Chamber of Commerce of Eastern Connecticut and is also involved with the Young Professionals of Eastern Connecticut. And since I'm a business reporter, the idea was that I would write about a millennial business owner. So I reached out to Megan and basically said, do you have any suggestions of millennial business owners? Um, and, And part of that is the millennial business owners that I know are ones that I know because I've written about them before. And I wanted to write about uh, someone, someone different, someone we haven't covered much. So Megan came back with a very helpful list and I did a few searches and um, I found Karina's website and just, of course, she had some beautiful images there of the type of stuff that she does. I saw that she'd been to 22 countries, had lived in three countries, uh, is bilingual. So I thought, okay, she sounds like she'll have some interesting stories here. So she was born in Peru and because of some financial instability, Uh, She and her family moved from Peru to New London when she was 14, and she has a sister who is uh, within one year of her age, so they're pretty close. And the reason that the family, the Alvarez family, decided to come to Connecticut was they already had some family in New York and Connecticut. They chose Connecticut thinking it's not quite as fast-paced as as New York, would be a little bit more, a little more conservative and traditional and than New York and, and a good place to raise a family. And Alvarez does what she talks about her family, really talk about how she was raised in a traditional family. Um, and she really thanks her mother and her family for instilling in her the values of hard work. We've been very close, uh, family-wise. So um, we all, I grew up with traditional parents. Um, the values and uh, everything that I am now, it's because of them. I owe everything to my family. Hard work, that's always been number one in the list um, of values and respect, honesty. Um, I remember when I was in first grade, my mom would push me so hard to be number one in the class. And I think that's all she focused on um, at that time. And then she decided to just push me and push me and be become competitive and always be the ver- best version of myself that she didn't really have to do anything else after that. Second grade through MBA, I, I did it all by myself. She never had to check on me or, you know, follow up. She did a great job when I was, you know, when I first started basically my education. So that's something that I always remember and I always thank her for that. So she went to UConn and then she moved, uh, after graduating from college in 2010, uh, she got a job with Liberty Mutual. She moved to Wallingford, then to Norwalk, and then decided that she just wanted to take a few months to figure out what she really wanted to do. And then she decided to go get her MBA in Spain, uh, in Barcelona. And when she came back, um, she had been talking with her cousin who lives in New York and works in the events industry there. She said he's at Madison Square Garden like every weekend. And in talking with him, she thought, oh, events sounds like something I'd be interested in. So she came up with a business plan, looked at the market, and thought, wow, New London has a really great market for this. She said there just were not um, many other uh, event design and rental companies. And she said, you know, demand is growing for this. 
Um, so she, she stayed in this area in part uh, to be near her family and then also in part because there was a demand, there was a market in the area. And that was after she had been considering working as in, in the corporate world in New York or Boston. Um, so she's looking forward to uh, the year ahead. She, uh, to pick up some extra money on the side, does some uh, work translating for the federal government in throughout Connecticut and Rhode Island. She also has an investment property that she owns in New London, and she lives in an apartment that her sister owns elsewhere in New London. Um, she's hoping to stay in New London for at least the next few years, um, possibly buy a house for herself to live in a few years down the road. Um, Though, like some other millennials in Connecticut, there are things she'd like to see more of here. Being a young person, she talked about, you know, wanting to see, she loves French food and she'd love to see more French restaurants or even just more restaurants in general. She said she'll often go to Mystic and Old Saybrook when she wants to eat somewhere nice, but wishes there were more options in New London. And then her other comment was that this is a great place to be in the summer, but there's just not as much to do in the winter. I talked to uh, a young woman named Yanitza Kubelet, who is um, from, she was born in Miami and she uh, went to school in the Dominican Republic where uh, at least one of her parents is from. She ended up transferring to New London for her senior year of high school um, and really never got in, well, hadn't been involved in any politics or activism or um, was sort of a, you know, she was a teenager and she was not happy really about being her. Her mom had just decided to move to New London because they had a family friend here. And um, she said that she was angry pretty much the whole, her whole senior year of high school. And didn't, I don't think she made a lot of friends. Um, but she, uh, in order to get some community service hours, she started working with um, an organization in New London called Hearing Youth Voices, which sort of brings activists together and they they they've done a little bit of advocacy work um on behalf of uh, students in new london one of the things that they're sort of best known for is um helping to change the new london school district's um attendance policy uh and make it so that people who are at risk of losing credits because they had been tardy or absent too many times would get proper notification of that before uh, before it happened, and that that was a few years ago that they they accomplished that through sort of you know going to to school board meetings and advocating for for students who were you know maybe not graduating because they didn't realize that they had had too many absences or or tardies. Um, so that's one of the things that they have been a part of. It's a pretty small organization, but it was really important to to Yanitza because she you know met a lot of people that sort of felt about. Uh, activism and, and injustice in the same way that she did. And, and she was able to sort of focus her energies on, on working, on on learning about politics and learning about um, what she called them, all of the isms, racism, sexism. One of the reasons that I was writing about her was that she is sort of taking that experience and she's trying to sort of pass it on to other young people in Connecticut um, one of the things about activism in Connecticut is that it seems like it's pretty um, siloed in, in the different 
in individual cities and individual towns, people sort of have groups and, and work that they're doing that's very specific to Hartford, for example, or specific to New Haven. Um, and there's not a lot of sharing of resources, um, especially, I think, for, for young people who are sort of trying to, interested in making a difference and want to want to have that education and want to have that experience. So she's starting something called the Black and Brown Student Union, which is sort of aiming to connect those people and connect the the kids and teenagers to uh, classes or leadership programs where they can learn about activism and they can learn some of the stuff that she said that she had to learn sort of on the job, so to speak, um, at Here Youth Voices. What this entity is doing is um, providing that professional development, um, that leadership development, the training, um, and providing the network for young people throughout Connecticut so that they can plug into their organizations and the work that they want to do in their community without these organizations having to waste capacity and training and building these people up because that's what happens a lot of times with our nonprofits. So she's trying to help them kind of skip over that initial learning period and and get a lot of that education and, and history and um, theory kind of about political organizing and that um, kind of stuff sort of out of the way before they can actually sort of jump into working on whatever their issue is. The millennials I wrote about were Joel and Robert Valenti. Uh, they grew up in Stonington. They um, were always competitive kids. They were in sports uh, in Stonington High School. Uh, after you know college and spending time outside of Connecticut, they uh, they decided to come back and work at the company that's had you know their name on the building for generations now. Um, Joel's at the Mystic Ford dealership. Robert is at the uh, Valenti Toyota in Westerly. You know, they both talked about how this area has great things going for it that a lot of people, you know, take for granted. Um, and they say they needed time away to really fully appreciate it, whether it's time on the water. These guys are both active golfers. They're skiers. Um, they love the restaurants. They love the waterfront. Um, they, they, Robert's got a boat that he takes out. The, the key for them is they also describe Connecticut as like an underdog. Um, they say that, you know, it's hard to start a business here. Um, there's too many regulations here. Taxes are crazy here, they say. Um, so they, you know, they're consistently trying to convince their friends, their buddies from high school and college to come back here. Because once you get through the harsh winters, there is a ton of stuff to do in this area that, that they enjoy. And, you know, they're 27 and 29. I'm a huge fan of underdogs. And that's kind of how I look at Connecticut. I mean, mm. right now, maybe we are the underdog and, and but if you look at the way that you, like if you're looking at a stock, you're looking for undervalued stocks so that you can buy when it's undervalued and then it raises in value and, and you end up on top. That's how you, that's how you win. And so I, I've talked to different people, my friends in, around the area and everything that are living here that are in their mid-20s to mid-30s. As I'm telling them, I'm saying, look, stick it out, stay here. Things are going to change and, and things are, are, are going to get better. and, and you got to look at it like as if we're the underdog and, and we're only going we're only going to move forward from here and that's kind of how I look look at my position here I think things are going to only change for the better and more people are going to come here they're going to realize how great it is they're going to they're going to want this, the four full four seasons uh, uh, you already I think we're already seeing like 
little businesses and stuff around here flourish. Everywhere I look, somebody's opening up a new business, whether that's clothing retail or, or it's a coffee shop or it's something to do with art or, um, and I think that's all along this, this whole coastline down here. The other thing that, that stood out for me uh, when talking to both of them is how self-aware they are. You know, when I was in my, you know, mid to late 20s, I was, um, you know, making decent money, but I wasn't saving a dime and I was not professionally happy. These guys, they both talked about having, you know, a sense of duty and a sense of pride coming to work back uh, in the family business. But they also acknowledge how fortunate they, they are to be able to come back to a family business without that being there. They still might be exploring, you know, out west or at another state. Um, so they're very thankful that they've got that here in Connecticut, and now they fully appreciate it. Because I'm new here at the day, I didn't know that many millennials that were that were available to talk to. Anne Baldelli, um, who I, I believe is a former reporter here at the day, she is uh, family friends with uh, the Valentes, and she knew that they were, you know, uh, young kids with uh, with you know bright, uh, good heads on their shoulders, and uh, she recommended that that we talk to them. My millennial was Amanda Clay, who's 27 and originally from Great Barrington in Massachusetts, a very small town out there that wasn't even on the map when she was growing up. She actually kind of ended up here in kind of a weird, a weird route for her to get to Connecticut. She originally went to school in, at George Washington uh, University in Washington, D.C. It was her dream school, uh, and she went and she actually was really miserable there. Uh, she has nothing but praise for the school, but it was more that coming from a small town, it was way too big, um, too soon. So at the end of her first semester, she transferred to Kahn College, uh, and she kind of never looked back. She really ended up enjoying her time in Connecticut and New London specifically. She began to view as kind of a second home. And although she went to school with a focus in international uh, relations in part, uh, and, and was planning to actually go abroad to work, she actually kind of pulled a 180 and decided to stay in New London and work at Higher Edge, uh, a nonprofit out here that focuses on helping first-generation and low-income uh, students through kind of the entire college process from enrollment to graduation. A lot of the, the core reasons that I was really attracted to the role in Peru were still present in both New London and Higher Edge, where, you know, I, I really cared about issues of equity, human rights, social justice, education's always been really important to me. Um, you know, I, I I think I spoke at least as much, if not more, Spanish than English during my time at Higher Edge and in New London. So, you know, like, I still had the language component. I was deeply enmeshed in the Latino community when I was, you know, I wasn't Peru, but, you know, like, a lot of the elements that were pull factors uh, to this organization in Peru, I think, were actually more present than I or, or a lot of people in my life thought would be in New London. Um, so it was the perfect fit. Um, so I know one big thing that she really liked about Connecticut and her experience in Connecticut, which she likes to emphasize, is around predominantly New Haven and New London, which she recognizes as a different experience than probably many other places in the state. Uh, she really liked as someone who isn't a city person but likes a bit more urban feel. Um, this was kind of her perfect equilibrium uh, in many ways. And then she also liked that there was a bit more diversity in those two communities um, in particular. 
which was also a big focus of kind of her life and her work. We found Amanda Clay. She was actually referred to us by rep, state rep Chris Soto, uh, who actually was her boss at Higher Edge when he used to work there and kind of run the organization. The thing that really struck us about Amanda, or the big thing that I think jumped in kind of our conversations was she was someone who just genuinely, a lot of her life decisions and her career focus were kind of focused around helping other people. You know, it shouldn't be a privilege to grow up and ha receive a good education and to feel comfortable in your community and be safe and, you know, all of these things. So, um, I, I feel, I don't want to say I owe it to greater society. I just, I think that every, every one of us has gifts and talents. We all have something that we bring to the table. And I think it's everybody's responsibility to contribute what they can. We heard from reporters Julia Bergman, Mary Beekert, Erica Moser, Martha Shanahan, Ben Kale, and Charlie Clark. I want to mention that we got a number of what some would consider negative comments on at least a few of our millennial features, including Martha's feature on Yanitza Kubalet and Charlie's feature on Amanda Clay. These comments from a very active segment of our commenting community focused on the mention of activism as part of the lives of these young adults. These commenters made the connection between activism and some political ideology that they believe is not representative of our region of Connecticut. Some expressed the idea that the day picked these people to antagonize a certain segment of our readership. In reality, we set out to feature millennials in our region who have decided to stay in the area to pursue their careers, their businesses, and their passions. Demographic trends show that millennials are increasingly moving away from the state. We wanted to feature millennials who seem to be bucking that trend. Our reporters reached out to sources and other people in their towns and reporting areas to identify people who we had not written about in the past. Again, that was our only intent in producing this series. Of course, we always encourage our readers to shoot an email to our reporters if they have any thoughts or concerns. For me and the rest of the Day Publishing Company, we hope you have a prosperous and happy new year. See you in 2018.